hello, hello. This is Tooth Be Told, Dr. Kyle Dumpert. Dr. Walter Aka. Hey, my name is Leroy Horton. And, you know, we are, we, we're, I mean, actually, I'm, we're, we're very excited because Dr. Horton is uh, a board-certified implantologist. And, and, you know, when it comes to dentistry, there's so many different avenues you can go, right? There's so many different ways you can learn. You can learn ortho. You can learn all this other stuff. And I think the beauty about being a general dentist and is you can, there's no limit to what you can learn and there's no limit to what you can do, you know? And that's the best part. Some people look at it and go, oh, that's the most frustrating part, but I don't. I actually think being a, a good, a great general dentist involves continuing continue to learn. Absolutely. And you being board certified shows that you actually had the respect and the intelligence, you know, to wanna get to that level of excellence when it comes to implantology, surgery, of different types, soft tissue, hard tissue, so forth, you know? And so Correct. I wanted to get you on here. Uh, and, 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 you know, we have something in common. We both were on the uh, Howard Ferran show and uh, mm -hmm. we were just talking about this uh, before we started recording that, you know, <laughs> Howard basically goes on his own little tangent, you know, but we love Correct. him, yeah. you know, yes, but he sir. definitely, I, I don't even know <laughs> what some of the questions were. You know, Kyle, I'm not sure if you remember any of the questions, yeah. but it was nah. Howard talking to us. It was Howard talking <laughs> to us, right? you know? Well, uh, I, but, I, I tell you this, Howard almost set me up. So one of the things I do here locally is I teach a lot of PRF courses because it's been a heavy component okay. of my practice. So he sets up this question by saying, the great Carl Misch said that, you know, PRF is a bunch of voodoo what say you? <laughs> like, like I'm going to jump into a posthumous debate with the great Carl Mitch. <laughs> okay. You know, let's, okay. Okay. So for, for people that don't know, Carl Mitch is like the guy who made implants and implant education. Like, I mean, open to everybody else. Right. Nope. He's that nope. guy. He's basically, you know, like there's a father of dentistry, you know, uh, um, restorative and amalgam, right? We got GV black there. He's that nope. guy that everybody, when you talk about, by restorative, you talk about GD Black. When you talk about implants, you have to start with the basics, which is Carl Misch and his book. So everybody learns this. I don't care if you're a specialist, a general dentist, whoever, you have to learn Carl Misch. So there's no way you're going to win this discussion. <laughs> no. <laughs> like he set you up for failure 100%. No. You know what I mean? No. It's so so I, I, I reframed it. I, I, when he was like partway through that question, I, I kind of understood what I had to do because I'm not going to be that asshole that's taking right. Carl Misch no. from the grave. Uh, right. right. But, you would lose completely. Bro. Like, <laughs> you, you, this, this being the canceled culture, you would have been canceled. Right. <laughs> you wouldn't even be talking to you right now. <laughs> absolutely. But I was able to reframe it as um, kind of a philosophical debate between kind of the common sense use of that particular treatment um, protocol and some of the outlandish claims that some of the groups out there are making that it can do. And basically just said that it's an adjunct to good sound surgical protocol. Um, but the setup was real. I mean, in I, that could have gone left <laughs> and, and killed my entire, you know, uh, uh, reputation yeah. together. But yeah. Well, so, let's, uh, let's kind of get a background, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's t tell us about yourself and where you, how you got to where you're at. All right, so um, I'm gonna speed through it. So I'm I'm originally a transplant. I immigrated from Greece when I was a teenager. Uh, me, my mom, and my brother. I had some exposure to dentistry because my aunt in Greece uh, was a dentist, and my my uncle was a cardiologist. So I knew I want to get into healthcare, and I thought it was going to be medicine. Um, 
shoot to like second or third year of college and uh, one of our instructors who was really big at exposing us to what you can do with a degree in biology other than med school because you know she wanted to be practical and say hey some of you might change your mind some of you might not get in or take a gap year and find a completely different direction so we did this self-assessment of where do you want to be 5 10 15 years and so forth and you answered all these questions and then he matched you up with careers in healthcare that match that those answers that you gave and um, you know some of them were like you know how, how much autonomy do you want how much family time how much responsibility and so forth and dentistry was ranked one of the highest and you know i've always been a big proponent on if you're going to make a decision make a well-informed decision thoroughly study it especially if you you know if you're at the point where you're choosing to commit the next eight years of your life or mm -hmm. you know hundreds of thousands of dollars like do your due diligence right mm -hmm. if you come back to the to the original thing that you wanted great that means you've vetted it and 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 really uh compared it to everything else out there you could trust that decision or if you change your mind then it's it's an honest decision to change your mind um so i created this independent study course that uh, uh pacific lutheran university where i went to had you could create a, a one credit college course called um, whatever you want. It's an independent study course with an advisor. So I created it. It was just called the um, different fields of dentistry. And my assignment was to go to my general dentist. He put me in contact with all the specialists he refers to. I shadowed each one for two or three days and wrote a report on each field of dentistry. And when I shadowed both the oral surgeon and the periodontist, it was like I had an aha moment, right? Like just that light bulb went off. And I was like, I want to do surgery in and around the mouth. Like, that's what I want to do. And it's been around since then, you know. So there was, there was no doubts, no, you know, second guessing of what I wanted to do. I you know, wanted to go to dentistry. Um, but then it was, do I try to do a residency? Or because at the time, I, by the time I graduated, I had three kids. Um, I, my mom had taken on a lot, a lot of debt unbeknownst to me to help put me through college, buying books and all that kind of stuff. And um, my brother was getting to that age where he was about to start college and I didn't want her to incur more debt. So I just said, let me just work as a GP and I can just really tailor my continuing education and my training and my practice to some of the surgical procedures. Um, and that just kind of led me on that path to really diving deep into implants, slowly, slowly, you know, and methodically growing my skill set to the point where that's just a large portion of my practice now. Are you so still doing it. any any general dentistry at all? You know, I have to by default because I'm partnered in two offices and we have full-time associates. Um, and so I end up doing the stuff that they don't feel comfortable with. And there's a handful of patients that just only want to see me. So every now and then, you know, I'll do their hygiene checks. I might do a filling here or there, you know, um, a root canal that my associates don't feel comfortable, like second molars and so forth. Um, but I would say 80% of what I do is either implant related or wisdom tooth related. Okay. Well, you know, let me start off by saying, uh, I don't know how you did it with three kids and go through dental school. That's amazing. Right there. <laughs> You should win an award. I can't do it with two, and I, I've been out of school for a while. So, so I don't know how you did that. You know, uh, you got more. You're, I, you're, I can't amazing. take. I can't take credit for that, man. I'd love to take yeah. the gold medal for that, but unfortunately, yeah. uh, or fortunately, I had a, a, a very supportive wife that yes. you know made sure that I had time for studies and stuff. I had my my mom lived five minutes away, my mother in law another five minutes away, and so I just had 
an amazing support system to be able to to do what I wanted to do. And uh, without that, yeah, it would have been a struggle for sure. That's awesome. That's awesome. But let me ask yeah. you this. So you just said that uh, you don't do, you do 80% of it is, is the surgical stuff, the stuff that you want to do, right? And yes. that seems to be like the golden uh, area. Like a lot of general dentists, a lot of people want to do just the things that they really enjoy, right? Like, right. for example, the reason I went to Perio was because I hated dentures. Now, if I would have eliminated dentures, I might have actually been a general dentist still because I loved everything else. I hated dentures, but I loved everything else, right? <laughs> and so then the question is, how, how long did it take you to get to this point? You know, I want to know how, how, how did you get to this point and how long mm -hmm. did it take you to get to this point? Um, well, it, it took a number of years uh, initially because you only have your patient pool to draw from, okay. right? Um, and you're only doing the cases you're comfortable doing. So of all the possible cases you have, you're only doing you know, a small percentage of them in the beginning. And as your experience grows, as your ability to describe and educate the patients on what they need, why they need it, your confidence and your ability to sell the treatment grows. Um, I was lucky in that my, um, my employer, who later became my business partner, He's older than me. He's he's uh, in his 60s, and he'd been placing implants for years. So I had a, a on-site uh, mentor that did that stuff, who I was able to watch do it, you know, dozens of times. Had him over my shoulder my first couple times, you know. And then we were both CE junkies, so we were always taking, you know, whether it was classes at the Zimmer Institute or you know just any implant convention or AID, ICOI, all that kind of stuff. So I was my my dedication was to continued learning, but it's such a slow crawl at first because you don't want to put your patients at risk by being a cowboy, right? Mm -hmm. And doing stuff you shouldn't be doing. Um, and, and I took that seriously because there's a lot of doctors out there that will just, all they're looking at is there's an empty space. I'm not sure if there's enough bone or not, but there's an empty, there's a tooth missing. So we're doing an implant. They're not looking at occlusion, general health, you know, the general perio health. You know, are there other more pressing needs? Is there even restorative space? Like, there's the, the, they're so myopic in how they they view what they're trying to do. And I know I, I didn't want to do that. Um, and so I, it probably took about five years before I really, really got comfortable. Because mind you, I'm trying to implement this in my day-to-day -day right. existing practice. Um, so it took about five years and at that point, I felt like I just I hit the ground running, um, and I really felt good about what I was doing. And you you said yeah. you're a board certified implantologist, is that right? Correct. Did somebody say, okay? So, is that for for our listeners? Is is that a is implantologist? Is that a dental specialty? Like one of the special? It depends you, on the, go ahead. It depends on the state. Okay. So. Some states have recognized it. I think uh, I'm in Washington state. Washington is currently has been mulling it over. Um, the, the dental board has been mulling that over for the last like two or three years, whether they're going to recognize that as a specialty and what that means. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I, can't, I don't purport myself to be a, a specialist in, you know, by any sense of the word. Um, but I have dedicated a large part of my career and my practice to implants. Um, and I'm very open about that to patients. Um, but it, it, it is a sense, uh, a specialty in, in how you view your dedication of your time 
and your uh, how how you carve out your day to day um, practice. Um, because to be good at it, you have to do it all the time. Right. You know, the whole 10,000 hour thing, it's, it's, it's real. And when you think about it, when I thought about it, when I did the math on it, 10,000 hours in dentistry, when you're talking about how many days you work, eight hour days, it's about five years, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it takes about five years of doing something consistently to be really, really good at it. And there's, there's always room to grow and be better. Right. Mm-hmm. But to be really, really good, I would say it takes about five years. What's it, what's it take to become a, a board certified implantologist? Well, that, that was more philosophically speaking, right? Okay. Technically, it still probably takes around that uh, long because a lot of the cases you have to submit when you're going through the process, they have to have been uh, placed and restored over three years ago with follow-up images. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's no way to kind of do that on the fly anyway. You have to have been doing it for a number of years to have the number of cases, because I think um, we had to initially submit 120 cases that were all over three years old. And then as you go up the ranks, you have to, you know, like you, you have to case present 20 cases through PowerPoint. They have to be of specific types. You know, some of them have to involve sinus augmentation. Some of them have to be full arch. Um, so you, you have to be, to get all that under your belt as a general dentist, you have to have been doing it for a long time by default. And, and that's with what organization? Um, the International Congress of uh, Oral Implantology, the okay. ICOI. Okay. Yeah. You know, so. you know, I always, I always say, like, if you're going to do something, like you said, you have to get in. You can't just, you know, can't half-ass anything. Like, you have to just say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, right? And right. I find that a lot of people just kind of dip their toes in there and say, all I'm going to do is this molar. Uh, I'm going to do molar implants, right? Because there's so much space, and I'm going to send that off, the, everything else off. Right. But yeah. how do you become proficient at something when you just only select? That's like saying that all I'm going to do when I play basketball is dunk. I can't see the reason. <laughs> I'm just going to every time it's going to dunk. And right. you're not Shaq, by the way. You're not Shaq. Right. Like, oh, every single time, all you're going to do is dunk. Like, it, it, to me, it doesn't make any sense. You know what I mean? Right. And so for me, I'm like, what did what what kind of changed your mindset to say I'm right. going to just devote the time and the money? Because a lot of people don't realize that there's a financial aspect to it too, right? And so, like, oh. what made you say, I'm going to devote the time and money to education and learning and, and becoming as good as you are? Well, I, I, I don't like – this is one thing about me personality-wise. I don't necessarily have to be the best at what I do regardless of what I do, right? So okay. when, I was a, when I was an amateur fighter, I wasn't consumed with being the best. But I wanted to be that upper echelon. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I want to be – Good to great. Um, and I don't, you know, being mediocre, there's like a, a complex or a fear that I have about being mediocre at anything, right? <laughs> so somewhere, if I can be way better than mediocre, even if I'm not the best, I'm complacent in that. Yeah. And when I, when I tackled implants, that's kind of where I wanted to be. I would take all these courses and, you know, read this literature and I would aspire, you know, to want to be as knowledgeable as proficient, as competent as some of these high-level practitioners that would be teaching these courses, because um, I wanted to belong in that group. Um, so that's kind of a personality quirk of mine. And the other part of it is when you're doing surgery, you are doing semi-permanent stuff for people. Whether it works or whether it doesn't, it can be semi-permanent, right? Um, and that's a huge responsibility to, um, to take on when someone is trusting you with 
their well-being, their health, their function, their aesthetics, um, their money. You know, a lot of this stuff is expensive. Like, I want to know, even because everyone has failures, right? Yeah. I want to know that every failure I've had, every case that didn't work out, was a hard-earned failure, meaning mm -hmm. it failed despite all my best efforts. Right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't a half-assed failure. Right. It wasn't a stroll-in-the-park failure. <laughs> it was a hard-earned failure. Um, and, and I think that's just something that it's, it's either ingrained in you or, or, or it's not. Some people can do dentistry and be very disconnected from the affect that they have on people, um, mm. whether, you know, they, you, you, you break a file in a root canal um, and you're like, ah, all right, this stuff happens, refer it out. And there's people that will lose sleep over that, you know, will we'll take that, that L and say, all right, well, what did I do wrong? Let me break this down. Let me reverse engineer what the hell I just did because I don't want this to happen again. Um, and I think that's, that can be taught to some extent, but I think that's just, it's got to be who you are yeah. um, to have that, that constant uh, desire to be great, if that makes sense. Now, I, uh, I'm going to throw Walter under the bus here a little bit. Or, or please, try to anyway. Please. Try to anyway. Please, so, I, you, know, I, I, you know, if, if you actually, if you if you listen to previous podcasts, we had uh, Dr. Dennis on here, and that was his yeah. job. So Kyle's taking over right now. I, I like to I like to stir the pot a little bit. So a uh, okay. couple of couple of basic questions, Walter. Roughly ballpark estimate: How many implants have you placed? 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 Oh my lord! Huh. And it's been. I'm not including residency, right? Just right after I started working. Uh, you can include residency. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I'm probably, oh man, five to 10,000. Okay. I'm going to uh, look at that, that ballpark. Yeah. So I'm very consistent. I'm doing a lot more now. Like last okay. week, I might have done close to uh, probably about 75. Okay. Oh, Jesus. You know what okay. I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because it's and and that's another another discussion I want to have. How many mm -hmm. general dentists now just seem to want to give up on a tooth? Right. And patients are now kind of falling onto that too. They're wanting well, to give up on a tooth we'll way get, faster we'll, than we'll get back to that water. Yeah. Right, 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 right. <laughs> back, back to the press. <laughs> how how many how many implants have you placed, Leroy? Uh, last I counted, and I'm kind of a weird like that. I was at, I, w I was at just under sixteen hundred. Okay, so, Walter, how many implants have you restored after residency? Zero. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Leroy. After residency. Uh, same same question, Leroy. I, that's an easy count. <laughs> yeah. that's, easy. <laughs> that's a completely easy count. Zero. Right, so, I'm gonna tell you so, that right now. Same same question, Leroy. Uh, I, I I restore all my own work. Okay, yeah, so so, so as a as a patient, if I'm going to go to a provider, right. do I want to go to a specialist that will oh, place Lord. the implant and no. send send I me to somebody else, that's or do really, I want to yeah. do I want to go some, yeah. to somebody? Because as a general dentist, that's part of the reason a lot of us get into it is if we have a, a surgeon in our area that isn't as proficient where they're just looking at that space. I can get an implant in there, but they're not looking at the function of that implant afterward. Is there a benefit right. to the patient going to somebody that has to deal not only with the surgical aspect, but also the restorative aspect? Right, right. Hey, that's actually yes. a legitimate question. That's a great question. You know, and I'm not taking it, it is. personal um, at all because it's actually very true, man. 
you know, and it, it depends on what the what perspective you you look at it. If it's something that is um, requires kind of a multifaceted uh, a surgical approach, you might want to put the surgical part in the hands of the surgery specialist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for your run of the mill number nineteen, where you know the occlusion is great, restorative space is great, no parafunctional habits, general health is great. I don't think there's any reason why it, that would absolutely need to be um, referred out, given that the the general dentist is adequately trained, right? Um, but I, I think we all need to look at it more of as a team approach, as opposed to a you know GPs versus specialist. They're hoarding the cases that I want to do. There's cases that are outside of my wheelhouse that I've referred. There's patients that are kind of more complex. Um, you know, and and I don't miss, I don't want to do them the the disservice of trying to mm-hmm. bite off more than I can chew. And I think in general we need to see and dentistry, as as you guys know, it's a doggy dog industry, right? We need to be a lot more collaborative because at the end of the day, what we're looking for is the the patient outcome, right? Mm-hmm. Right. There's enough money for all of us to eat. There's right. enough patients for all of us right. to to kind of get our get our work in. Um, but f- to answer that question. For your for your run-of-the-mill general cases, I don't think there's a, a benefit or um, a uh, disadvantage to either way, right? Uh, as long as you're properly trained. Um, but I have seen some cases, not to get on the specialist, where the implant was just placed where there was a bone, <laughs> and that's about all the credit you can give to the case. <laughs> you know... And, and, and let me speak on that. No, no, let me speak on that. There's two things I'm going to actually say. Uh, first, okay. first off, I actually love working with somebody who does implants. Just like I like working with somebody who does, you know, uh, aesthetic cases because they can see more of a need for, hey, let's do aesthetic crown lengthening. Or mm-hmm. they can see, they can say, hey, this needs to be an implant here. So they're actually one of my best referrals. And they're probably one of my easiest referrals because they send me everything, surgical guide and CBCTs and so forth. So it makes my life really easy. Like, I mean, it's almost like if I don't, if I don't like slam dunk this, like I'm, I'm the, I'm the asshole. <laughs> but but even but even if you do slam dunk it, if you put if you have a general dentist that sends you a case and says, uh, you know, put an implant in, in here, and you do the absolute, you know, work of art putting that implant in there and the general dentist you know, does a, a cement retained crown, squeezes yeah. a bunch of cement down around yeah. the implant, then, you know, you look like you're the, the idiot because your implant failed. And but see, that's, that's another discussion. If he's doing the implants himself, he knows better. Right. Because yeah, right. <laughs> the second, you do that one time, then yeah. the, the onus is on you for everything. Right. Right. And again, that's what I'm saying. Like having somebody who places implants, they're the best referrals because they already know I don't want to deal with this. I need this to go <laughs> perfectly well because implants, one thing people don't understand, and I hate that's why I hate when people get so excited about implants and think everything needs to be implant replaced, right? Because implants, when it dis- when it fails, it's a destructive failure. Yeah. It's not just like, oh my this area hurts. It's no, the bone is gone. The soft tissue is gone. Like it's a bad. It's catastrophic, you know. Right. And, and and so that that dynamic of who's placing the implant, I don't care. Just you know, just know what you're doing. But we're gonna get on that because I mean, you guys have about to have me go on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> I say this a lot. Just know what you're doing, and I'm fine with it. You know what I mean? And 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 
and know the knowledge, like have the knowledge to be able to just say this didn't go well or take onus on, on situations, right? We, if the crown was the reason because occlusion, traumatic occlusion does exist, you know, uh, yeah. if that's the case, then let's talk about that. Don't always just point to the surgeon and say, oh, it was the surgeon's fault. Right. You know what I mean? And that's another, anyway, I don't want to get on that, but I, 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 I you're right. We're, you, you know, we're, we're very selfish. The, the dental community is very selfish when it comes to, let me keep everything. Let me hoard everything. And we're, it's right. getting worse. It's getting worse because now we're starting to look at models like the corporate model and going, well, if they can have everything in house, why can't I just keep everything? Cause I'm afraid to send it out. Cause it may not come back to me. Right. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that selfishness is something that's just kind of if it's it's growing. And again, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, but I feel like it's growing. I think it depends on the area. If okay. it's an area that yeah. uh, has a lot of competition, um, you know, in, in areas where there isn't a lot of competition, there's more or less of that. But, yeah, it, it's definitely growing in some areas. Yeah, I see that where I'm at. So I, I have two off. I work out of probably four offices, but two of them I'm partnered in. Mm -hmm. um, one of them I bought in when the area was still a very um, kind of young, uh, growing area. And there was I was probably one of maybe four offices in the entire town. Um, now there's probably like 40 or 50. Um, oh, wow. And, and, and then the other <laughs> office is in... Uh, more metropolitan area called Bellevue, Washington, and it's literally the battle row of dentistry, right? So I in love my Bellevue, building, by the way, love Bellevue. I, I went yeah. there for a wedding. Great place. That oh. bridge, that toll on that bridge is crazy, though. It, <laughs> it is. In the morning, it's like two dollars. At nighttime, right. it's like fifty dollars. That part kills right. me. Right. I like, I'm like, I'm walking my ass across the bridge, and we'll talk about this later. Right. Yeah. You know, the best thing to do is don't even think about it, and just surprise yourself when you get that that bill. That bill. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. But it, but it's it's the battle row of dentistry. I mean, there's there's two offices in my building. There's three offices in the building next, and it just keeps going on like that. And it, there's so much pressure financially, um, especially since, you know, if you're a PPO network dentist, your fees are getting cut. Mm -hmm. And so I think we're very collaborative, like Kyle said, when there's not a lot of us and we're all eating, right? Mm -hmm. When all of a sudden there's too many, you know, too many puppies in the, in the, in the kennel and, and the insurance companies are squeezing us by decreasing our reimbursements, we're all turning on each other. Mm. Yeah, people um, start filling it, up bags with uh, with gasoline and in, in, in plastic bags. It's uh, when, <laughs> when things get scarce, people do crazy things. <laughs> Yo, I, listen, I know you're, you're referring to the Bellevue dentist that did that, right? Oh, <laughs> what? Oh, oh, there it is. Good. Wait, are you? Are you? Was that just like a off the cuff analogy? Well, yeah, I, I was talking about the, uh, the the gas shortage down in the the southeast. Oh, I, I, listen. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, um, I unlocked something here. Uh, this, this guy out in Bellevue, um, I'm not going to name names, but he was actually a year ahead of me in dental school okay. and, uh, he was, he was, he did the GPR and I was a fourth year. So I had to do some of my, um, my, uh, ER rotations under his supervision, but he was, he was a, a prick from day one. Right. <laughs> um, but he last year filled up a bunch of bags with, uh, PPE poured gasoline and was trying to burn his office down to collect insurance money. So that's when you started talking about filling up bags with gasoline. Okay. I thought you were specifically referring it because he literally was trying to burn his office down wow. to collect on the insurance money because times were tough. Um, yeah. 
Huh. But yeah, the, uh, okay, that filling up gasoline. That, 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 that pisses me off because at that time PPE was very harsh and hard it to was. find. Now you're pissing it was. me off. You know what? You can, <laughs> I don't care if you burn like your couch. I don't care. PPE, right. PPE was gold at that time. Yeah. Now you're just an yeah. asshole. Just <laughs> an asshole. Wow. Okay. Okay. Uh, Walter, Walter, let me let me yeah. ask you this real quick. Yeah, please. Because a good friend of mine's a periodontist. Okay. Uh, uh, his name is Kevin Suzuki, an amazing clinician. I know Suzuki. He went. Oh, to you Pitt. do? We went to Pitt, yeah. right? Yeah, great yeah. guy. He was uh, about four or five years ahead of me. I know Kevin. He, no, no, he no, 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 no. Uh, you must be thinking about his dad. Oh, okay. I'm talking about young, young Suzuki. Okay, okay, never mind. Um, yeah, because he was uh, he was the dean of uh, the peri. Oh, I'm sorry, he was the uh, yeah the dean of the peri uh, Suzuki. Was the dean of the Perio uh, department at Pitt? Okay. The dad. Yeah, the so dad this was. is his son. Uh, okay. Louis, I'm sorry. Okay. Younger demographic here. Got uh, you. Got you. That's all good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but he yeah, was he telling was me how in his yeah. office, um, if they do the bone graft, mm -hmm. they have an agreement with all their their GPs that they have to do the implant. So they were oh. running into issues where they would do the bone graft, the GP would then go in and do the implant, and and if you have failures, you know who do you blame, right? Mm. And where what do you guarantee and so forth. And I'm wondering if you've run into um, having doctors refer patients to you just for the bone graft and are you okay letting then someone else do the implant? Uh, I, you know, I'll be honest with you. I've never had anybody refer to me just for the bone graft. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. No, they, they didn't mention that directly, right? So I will do mm -hmm. the extraction bone graft membrane and then the patient leaves. And then I ah. just like, well, hey, we're going to get you back on a schedule. And then you know, I'll hear that the implant was placed by the general dentist. So in that gotcha. sense, I guess that's what they're doing, right? Right. Um, if it fails, you're the one that placed the implant. That has nothing to do with me. Mm, you okay. know what I mean? Like, to me, it's, you know, if you would just let me start from beginning to end, then, you know what I mean? Because there have been some times where I've had oral surgeons do the extraction and the patient comes to me and I'm like, hey, you might want to go back to the oral surgeon to finish right. everything. And I've said right. that, like I've turned people away, like go back because I don't know how the host is. I don't know what he saw or she saw when they did the extraction, the socket. Did, they, did you get rid of all the granulation tissue? Did you, you know what I mean? There's so many factors that I was not in control of. Right. You see, uh, is it something that's on a regular basis? No, but if I know the oral surgeon, I usually just tell them to go back to the oral surgeon. They're capable enough to do it. So I personally gotcha. don't, you know what I mean? I personally don't. Uh, tell somebody, go do the extraction with this person, come back to me for the implant. I don't do that. Uh, but I, I know a lot of uh, GPs who do that. You know, like right. they're like, oh, the, the tooth was root canal treated. That's the biggest one. Oh, it's root canal yeah. treated or it's fractured. So I can't yeah. do the actual extraction, but I'm capable of doing the implant, which is to me the harder part. Right. right. The, right. <laughs> the, more, the more intense part. You know what right. I mean? Like to me, I right. thought that was the hardest part, but okay, you know, go ahead and do what you, you know? So these are the discussions that I have a lot where I'm just like, right. so you want to do the, the more complicated part, but the part that would take me like five minutes is the part that you're referring to me. Okay. Right. It is right. what it is. You know what I mean? So, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I tell people, look, if I'm not placing the implant, that has nothing to do with me. And I think, gotcha. I think Suzuki should think the same way. He's not in control of the implant part. And that's the part that has, the, the highest uh, uh, failure rate. It's not the bone grafting. Right. You know what I mean? So. Right. I see. But, I, you know, I agree with you. Um, I've had a lot of associates that, that want to learn. And me and my business partner actually started uh, a series of curriculums to teach GPs. Um, okay. And we're, we're, we're AGD instructors now for the last couple of years. Um, 
But my big thing is you shouldn't be doing implants unless you're extremely comfortable with surgical extractions, yep. right? Mm -hmm. Now, you don't have to be doing full bony thirds. I get that. But if you cannot lay a flap, if you mm -hmm. cannot have the creativity to see where can I remove bone? How can I section this tooth? Mm -hmm. How can I, you know, like reverse Tetris this tooth out of here? Yes. Yes. You probably shouldn't be doing implants, but a lot of doctors, you'd be surprised. Like you said, they don't want to take out this root canal molar, but they want to jump on that implant, <laughs> right? Mm. And what that tells me is that if you run into any complications in placing this implant, you're lost. That's right. And why I'm a big proponent in that, you know, if I'm doing one through three, I'm at least prepared for what happens or what could happen at four and five. Right. Mm -hmm. You right. know what I mean? Right. Um, and that's a big pet peeve of mine is doctors that just want to jump into the, the glory of doing implants, but right. yet, you know, <laughs> and the reason we started teaching courses is because we would have associates that wanted to learn and you just assume they know what you think they know. And then partway through the surgery, you're sitting over their shoulder and you're like, holy shit, they don't know nothing. <laughs> right you're you're telling them to lay a flap you come back in two minutes and there's like just a tiny like they push the focus <laughs> over just a little bit and you're like i said lay a flap oh it's, it's right here no a what? bigger one bigger oh. than this right like, okay quit stop <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know the funniest thing i ever saw was uh i went to a conference i think it was uh the american academy of Periodon periodontology's uh yearly conference we went to and it was in my it was in orlando and we just happened to hear that Carl Mitch was teaching a class. So two of my buddies and I, we decided to just go over and just listen to it, right? And so we went there, we introduced ourselves to him, and he said, yeah, just hang out in the back, who cares, right? So we're listening, and literally all he was doing was reading his book, because if you read the book, you, can, you understand, right? And right. I'm, I'm watching this, and he's, you know, he's just basically going over the book, chapter one, right. summarized, right? And I was like, people are paying to listen to him read a book. Why don't you just read the book and go to the lane? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it was the craziest thing to me. Like, people, instead of reading a book, would rather pay somebody to read to them. Right. But this is the mentality that people have, right? Instead of just learning the basics so you have the foundation, then you can actually ask intelligent questions and you can actually challenge yourself a little more. You say, okay, I'm going to just pay for everything, but I won't, I won't pay enough to learn and be proficient, I'm going to pay enough right. to just be mediocre so I can just at least start. Exactly. You so, know? So, so Walter's recommending for people that don't place implants that want to get into it to start by doing some research, reading uh, textbooks. Carl Mush's book is a, a really good one. Uh, right. what, would, yeah. what, what, what would you recommend for people that are trying to get into implants? What is kind of the minimum stuff you need at the practice? Uh, do you, and then you what's your just, practice? Uh, uh, and I'm sorry, and what's also your, your program too? Can you talk about yeah. that as well with all that? Oh, yeah. So I'm a big proponent of immersing yourself, right? So first of all, you know, what you guys said about uh, reading the book. Mm -hmm. To me, and this is something I, I taught my kids early on, like read the chapter before the class where the teacher is lecturing on that chapter. Okay, so you're not trying to hear, learn, process, and integrate all at the same time. You've read the information, you've absorbed it, and now you're getting the context. Now you're getting the nuance. Now right. you, you're at, you, you, you can understand and ask questions that are at greater depth because mm -hmm. you're prepared before you go into this lecture, right? Um, the other part of it, you have to be able to know that you're going to be devoting time and money. 
Some of the classes, yes, they're weekend courses. <clears throat> that doesn't make you proficient. It's a weekend course, right? Some of the, um, I, I, uh, you know, curriculums are several weekends over a large span of time. That's good because you're getting a continuum of education with like a consistent philosophy. Um, and, you know, there's different philosophies, but it, it's, it's good to not have all the time a hodgepodge of different ideas and viewpoints. It's good to have some continuum, right? And then my biggest thing is find a mentor. I was lucky in that I had my business partner. Um, but I'm, I mean, I don't think people, dentists really, or GPs really realize that a lot of the specialists out there love to teach, love to have you around, love to share knowledge with you. One of the first things I did when I graduated is I went to the, uh, there's a, an amazing oral surgeon out here, Carl Johnson. Um, first thing I did is I hit him up. I said, hey, can I come shadow you? I just want to see how you approach things, how you set up your day, how you start a surgery. Because my niche was, in the beginning, wisdom teeth, because I had done a, a third molar impaction uh, semester at the University of Washington. And so I felt super comfortable doing all sorts of thirds. But I wanted to see how the masters at that did it. Um, and so I just, you know, find a mentor that's a specialist that does what you want to do, that is what, what you want to be, and spend time. You know, it, it might cost you some lunches or dinners here and there, or some drinks and appetizers, but specialists in, in, in my experience have been very forthcoming when you come to them with just a genuine thirst for knowledge and a genuine uh, curiosity just to see what makes them so special, right? <laughs> um, and so finding mentors, I think, is huge because there's, you, there's only so much you can learn from a textbook. Only so much you can learn by putting implants on a on a plastic jaw in a mm -hmm. or a pig jaw in a class, right? Really, okay. and you want to see it done before you attempt to do it live. And okay. if you if you foster a good relationship, they'll be there for your first couple cases. Um, on the other hand, I had an experience yeah. in an area that I lived. There was one oral surgeon uh, on the island, and I had sent him lots of cases. So I, I've you know extractions, implants. Finally, I said, Hey, do you mind if I, this is my patient that I'm sending to you for an implant. Do you mind if I come watch? I don't let people watch my surgeries. Okay. Hey, oh, wow. That, that, wow. Okay. Okay, buddy. I guess I'm going to be uh, starting to place implants here pretty soon. There are people out there. So anybody that, you know, just find another person to refer to if you run yes. into somebody like right, that. Right. Yes. If, if well, one door gets slammed in your face, knock on a different one. Well, no. You know, you brought up, you brought up uh, what, uh, what, um, uh, what's it called? Um, um, Howard did to you by talking about uh, uh, drawing blood for yes. healing process. Can you just kind of break that down? Because I know what you're talking about, but can you break that down? Okay, it's, it's my daughter. Sorry, uh, <laughs> making a he's making a cameo. You're right. Yeah, he, she, doesn't, <laughs> she doesn't care that I told her that I'm going to be busy. No one, ever, no one ever listens to me in this household. No. Uh, but break it down for us, like what the whole drawing blood and, and, and you know, spinning it down and trying to get your body to kind of help you heal process looks like for you and why okay. you started doing that. Um, well, so the, the process itself is it's, it's nothing uh, necessarily that was necessarily championed by dentistry. A lot of stuff that we do in dentistry, especially when it comes to bone, we've taken from orthopedics, right? Yes. Um, but the process is pretty simple. You take someone's blood, 
you you spin it at a certain protocol and you separate out the red blood cells from the fibrin, the platelets, some white blood cells, okay? And the reason you're doing that is you're trying to concentrate the fibrin and the platelets because the platelets is what's really kickstarting the healing process in any blood clot, okay? They're releasing all your, your needed cytokines and growth factors. They're really fostering the, you know, the coagulation that happens to keep all that stuff in place as long as possible. But your natural clot is only about 4 to 5% uh, platelets and the rest is red blood cells, okay? Well, you can concentrate it, and now you're at 94, 95% platelets. So technically, you're increasing the amount of potential growth factor and cytokines in any particular uh, surgical site by almost 20-fold, okay? The fibrin network is great because all the, the, the studies and um, Dr. Marone's textbook is a great textbook um, to read. It's called uh, Understanding, um, Understanding PRF is the, the latest one. Um, it, the, the fibrin helps keep those cytokines and growth factors in that space to have their desired effect longer than a natural clot would have. So all you're doing is it's, it's not a silver bullet. It's not a, a magical pill that all of a sudden you're going to get, you know, D2 bone everywhere, um, you know, in tremendous amounts. But it's a great way to facilitate and aid good surgical protocol and, and healing. Um, so that's what we're doing, okay. right? Where, where I got into it, I think it was as simple as I was at an AID convention. I saw uh, Joseph Chacron, uh lecture. Um, you know, I have qualms now that I'm a bit more educated as to some of the claims that that group is 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 making, right? But so it's not the fountain of youth. It's not the fountain of youth. It's not the fountain of youth. I just want to say that, you know, without getting in trouble, I just yeah. want to say it's not a fountain of youth. Okay, it's, got it. It's okay. definitely let me, not let me move on. Let me move on. But, <laughs> but it, it has its utility, right? Yeah. Both biologically and and also um, just physically, you know, you're, you're able to make these, uh, the, the bone graft that you're using that we used to just hydrate with saline, um, it makes it more sticky, easier to handle. It, you know, you don't place it on the, you know, if you're doing an onlay graft and it starts kind of running all over the place. So there's great actual practical utility to it as well. And it's all natural. It's not exogenous, you know, you, it's not something synthetic. All you're doing is taking the blood, spinning it, taking a portion of it, and put it back in a surgical site. So for me, it makes total sense. It's not a replacement, though, for good, sound decision-making in your surgical protocols. Like that has, If that's not there, PRF ain't, ain't helping you, right? Um, and, and so to, to reference what the, the conversation we were having before uh, we started recording, yes, how we did try to set me up by pitting me against the great Carl Misch and some of the stuff that he has said about PRF. <laughs> But luckily, I've, I've done this enough times where I was able to reframe it and basically say that there is a philosophical argument between things that I, the, you know, the, the camp that I represent, which is, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely a good adjunct. And there's camps that say, hey, you use only PRF and you can get five millimeters of vertical and horizontal simultaneous augmentation with no tenting screws, just special sutures. You know what I mean? Like that's, yes, when it comes to that kind of stuff, it's voodoo. And mind you, when in all my courses, I always take updated photos because I have, I have a pet peeve about stale photos and presentations, right? Mm -hmm. The people that present this stuff have been using the one case 
in like the last seven years that I've been seeing these lectures, and I don't know, both of you may have seen this, every yeah. time they talk about both vertical and horizontal with yeah. no tenting screws, right. in three months you can place an implant, it's the same exact case. <laughs> that yes. one case. Yes. <laughs> and you, you, it's not just that case, it's everybody does this. And yeah. you're right, you're right. Like if you don't continue to, you'll see, you're like, wait a minute, I, I remember you talking about this. And then again, you'll look at it again and be like, okay, he's, wait a minute, that's the same tooth that he, <laughs> he mentioned, you know? Uh, yeah. but, but, yeah. but can you explain to us, like, why would you do this, you know, PRF, right? Versus just doing what we've been doing for, you know, before we started doing PRF. Like, what is the benefit? Is it, uh, we're trying to just make that area heal a little faster? Is it, 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 it uh, it's less swelling? You know, like, what is the reason right. for a lot of this stuff? And I, mean, I, I know the answer, but I want you right. to, well, my personal reason is yeah. both. I think there there is an, enough evidentiary uh, history to show that there is, you know, decreased uh, reported morbidity, you know, slightly decrease in in incidence of infection. If if depending on how you look at the data on the rate of bone turnover, right? So you know they take plugs and do. Um, the uh, you know they they look at it under under a microscope and see that at, at four months with PRF it's what it looks like at eight months without PRF. I mean you have to have a kind of a skeptical eye when you look at that. Um, I'm not changing my timelines that much because of of PRF, but anecdotally that the the biggest kicker for me is because I have half a career before I introduce PRF to my my uh, protocols, and the second half of my career where I did. I can tell you an absolute difference in soft tissue healing, yes. in reduced swelling. That's right. Yeah. The bone is the bone. I can't do the histology on you to tell you whether the bone is any better than it pretty much feels the same as it did before, right? <laughs> but this, the soft tissue uh, improvements that I get, uh, especially in that first three to four weeks of healing, um, and also just the practical utility of it, to me, that in and of itself, is is worth its weight in gold and i think that's the discussion that a lot of people need to have like a realistic discussion to say and i completely agree with you by the way the soft tissue healing is incredible even after a week it right. looks like it's been healing two to three weeks yeah you see and then we all say that the first the critical time of healing is usually the first week or two that's the most critical and that's the part that i scare my patients and say this is this is it right here. If, if we can do well here, we seem to do pretty well going forward, right? But the first two weeks is usually the critical time, and and so if right. we can kind of speed up that soft, you know, soft tissue, so we can get that closure, we can get that, you know, internal healing. That that's key. We can get yeah. all that growth factor in there. That's key. So that I completely agree with. And other yeah. stuff like you know, you know, you can all of a sudden you lose thirty pounds and all this extra stuff that PRF <laughs> has, has been magically known to do. That you know, I mean, that part I'm just like, all right, right. all right. <laughs> but you're absolutely correct. I hundred percent agree with you with the soft tissue situation. Yeah. Um, when it comes to PRF, like, how much would that be for somebody who wants to get involved in this? You know, classes and then the 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 system, the the centrifuge and all that stuff. How much would that be? Well, um, your initial investment, yeah. you know, honestly, if, if you're pretty experienced, learning the phlebotomy and learning the actual protocols is, is pretty easy, right? And who I draws mean, the blood? Do that. Uh, well, it depends. In the state of Washington, as long as you're a licensed provider, you can do it, okay. right? In other states, you have to actually have to have a separate phlebotomy license to be able to draw the blood. So it's, it's kind of state by state. 
Here I do it. I've had assistants that have had phlebotomy training. And although I love them dearly, there was a lot of misses. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so it's just it's just way easier because it doesn't take long. I just, you know, and plus and, and, and a fair amount of those cases I'm doing IV sedation anyway. So I'm already doing getting access. And so I'll do, you know, I'll do the blood draw, I throw it in the centrifuge, I'll do my surgery. By the time I'm done, you know, taking the tooth out. The, the 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 vials have spun and once they've spun you can just let them sit there for hours if need be in the tubes before you actually prepare them and flatten them and so forth so there's no rush once you've done that the only rush is from drawing the blood to get in the, in the centrifuge because the blood's going to start coagulating if you wait too long and the separation isn't going to be as complete right um but i mean you could take a course and courses range anywhere from usually you know a little under a thousand dollars to a couple thousand dollars depending on the length and obviously the name of who's giving them um but it's not terribly complicated compared to some of the other procedures that we do um a good centrifuge will probably run you about a thousand dollars and mind you a centrifuge is a centrifuge and when i first started doing it i bought a 70 dollars centrifuge off of amazon Yes, okay. Amazon. Okay. <laughs> and it, I've, I've been known to dabble in Amazon. <laughs> yes. And it works just fine. Now, mind you, I'm not going to buy uh, Biologics off of Amazon. Okay, okay, so let me put that out there in case anyone's <laughs> getting the wrong idea. Right. But a piece of hardware that's just meant to spin, the mm -hmm. only thing the dental, um, you know, the ones that are, I guess, FDA approved for dental use, they have the label dental on it. Right. right. And, you know, now they've they've been kind enough to kind of put in some presets for you. So, mm -hmm. you know, like the Chacroon centrifuge is great because it's got the presets for APRF, uh, injectable PRF, APRF plus PRF for women, PRF for men. So you don't have to do, a, uh, you know, an equation to see what what speed with this centrifuge, with this rotor, is this going to give me 200 G's or 400 G's or whatever you, you're looking for, right? Yeah. So, but Salvin has a good one. Um, Chacron has a good one. Um, uh, 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 Marone's new. Marone actually has a great one on that the tubes are suspended instead of fixed. So when the centrifuge starts turning, the centripetal force actually makes them horizontal. And so instead of, you know, being at a pitched angle, now when it starts spinning, it's horizontal and, and the, the separation, you know, seems to be a bit more <clears throat> complete. Um, but yeah, so there's a ton of them on the market. So you all in, you're probably looking at about five grand to really get started doing it between classes and supplies and all that. Um, but so it's, so it's not terrible. I mean, there's definitely much more expensive things to invest in um, in dental industry. Okay. Okay. For uh, for people yeah. looking to get into implants, th this is seems to be a debate whether do you need a cone beam? Do you need a? Are you good with just a pan? Are you good with periapical? What what what's your opinion? Oh no! Listen, let me give you. And both of you are probably old enough. Kyle, how old are you? I'm 35. He's young. Okay, he's so young. I, he's I young. I'm, you're a little I'm younger 39. than me. So. He's young. <laughs> we that, we that ignore fact. him. Let's ignore him. <laughs> 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 so that that five year difference might mean you you haven't done a poor man's cone beam, right? But one of the first uh, implants I did was you you take an alginate impression and you mm -hmm. pour it up in stone. Okay, yeah. you numb you numb the patient's gum and you sound the bone and you read off numbers to your uh, assistant. You know, three millimeters, two millimeters, three millimeters. You saw the 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 cast. 
So you can open it up and have your section, and then you outline given that sounding where the bone is, okay? Mm -hmm. And that was one of my very first cone beams I ever took in dentistry, right? Now, obviously, I mean, you could make the technical argument if you're super duper experienced and you got a, a molar and the ridge is yay big and you can see on the PA, the IA is way down here. You technically don't need a, um, a CBCT. But my standard policy and recommendation for everyone is stand CBCT is standard of care, period. Um, and I actually, I, I have CBCTs on all my extractions and bone grafts. Because, hmm. you know, I feel like you need to know, you need to have a, a three-dimensional strategy when you approach the foundation you're trying to create for that future implant, Okay. right? And the cost of the CBCT has gone down so much. I mean, my first CBCT was like 150 grand. It was an instrumentarium. Mm -hmm. You know, it's nice because it takes, you know, yeah. full views here. So if you do any airway stuff, it's great. But now you can get, I mean, you can get it. My buddy that opened a practice in Texas got a used, um, did he get a used Gendex? Takes great CTs. He got it for 28 grand. Oh, wow. Uh -huh. You know, huh. that used to be what, that used to be what a good panel machine would cost. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, so, I mean, so, Walter mentioned we do the, we both did the VA uh, GPR uh, at the VA hospital in Pittsburgh. We had a comb beam CT when I was there. I don't know if, since Walter's so much older than me, I don't know if they, <laughs> if they had it there when, when he was. <laughs> but, but, you know, all the... You should throw, all the, to throw rocks at each other. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, all the implants that I placed there, I had never took a cone beam on them. It, it was based straight off a pan. Uh, I don't know right. Walter's experience, but uh, as somebody that's looking to, you know, get into implants... Do you really need to, to drop, you know, that kind of money on equipment if, you know, you take the education and you find out, you know, th this just isn't for me. Now, you know, I'm a hundred grand into this, much like it, when you go to dental school, second year you figure out, I don't like working on teeth. Well, you're invested now. You have to do it. Right. Right. Well, there's two ways to look at it. Right. So CBCT has more utility than just implants. Right. So right. let's say you do root canals. It's right. great to see if there's an MB2, right? It's right. great to see if the canals are two and then turn into one and so forth. So there's, right. there's more utility than that. Mm -hmm. um, and, then, and then at the cost that you can get them these days, um, it's not co as cost prohibitive as, as it used to be. Um, but then also, even if you don't want to invest in your own CBCT, I mean, there's, I get a lot of doctors that refer to me just for the cone beam. Right. And mm -hmm. I burn on, an, on a CD. And they do the implants. So, and then there's a lot of imaging centers where, yep. you know, the patient pays, you know, three or four hundred dollars, and they get a cone beam, and they they give you the raw dicoms on a CD, and you can, whether you're using anatomage or blue sky bio, you can treat and plan it that way. So there's there's always options beyond that. Now, if you don't have the option of a local imaging center or a doctor that does have a CBCT, um, and 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 then to backtrack just a moment. I've known a lot of doctors that work in a building with other dental professionals that have CBCT. So you might be in a, in a, a general dentist in a building that has an endodontist or that has an oral surgeon, and they don't mind taking the CBCT for you, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but I, I, it's hard for me to say, although if you have the skill, if you have the guidance, it's not absolutely needed, but I don't trust people to be able to be good um, uh, 
to to assess their own limitations well mm. if that makes sense and so i would rather just make a blanket statement in 2021 that say hey everybody just needs a cbct than trying to you know create these gray zones when it comes to to diagnostic imaging um and that that's that's just a personal stance and not really it's not even a soapbox i really stand on i just cringe because i have seen some cases out there where even with the CBCT, some really poor decisions were made. So I would hate to increase the incidence of poor of decisions being made with even less diagnostic uh, tools at hand, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I, I honestly think, and to kind of jump on that, I honestly think a CBCT allows you to push the limit just a little bit more, right? No CBCT right. and you have a, a uh, let's just say you sound, you bone sounded and you have a ridge that's seven millimeters. I would think, okay, well, 1.5, 1.5, okay, maybe I just should only put a 4.3 or, uh, you know, no more than a 5.0, uh, yeah, probably like a 4.3, you know, 4.5 in, in that space, right? But if you get a right. CBCT, you know exactly the width, you know, then you can treatment plan on that software to get you the exact implant that you're going to feel comfortable with. And that software actually gives you that plus or minus that 1.5 1.5 so the safety zone is also there as well so right? so are you doing are you doing guided surgeries for every implant also then cuz okay. you can have yeah, the information it. on the cone beam right. and you can just have a bad day and line it up wrong and right. if it's not guided that cone beam is worthless to you and and can I can you can I add on to mm -hmm. that um, you mentioned how a lot of doctors don't have the surgical skills Correct. And I feel like a CBCT also kind of uh, lowers your uh, your your um, your safety margin. So basically, it allows you to think you're invincible, right? Right. And then whenever you have an issue, they don't know how to get themselves out of that issue. Right. Right. Because they think a CBCT should be perfect. Right. Right. Well, there, there, that's that great question, Kyle. Because I think you you brought up a good point as you were talking that made me think back to the panel thing, right? How many times have we seen uh, a, a two-dimensional X-ray where it looks like the eye, there's like 15, 16 millimeters to the IA in a molar space? Mm -hmm. But then what you don't see with the CBCT, there's this lingual shelf. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And so you really, you only got about eight, nine millimeters before you busting out the floor of, right. of that, that shelf, mm -hmm. right? right? So I think even in areas that might look straightforward, CBCT can give you great um, added uh, information. Walter, well, you're right in that it can give you a false sense of security. Case in point, a section is not a section, right? A section is only a true perpendicular section if 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 you've lined up the image perpendicular to that section, right? How many times have you looked at something and it's it, oh I got 13 millimeters, and then you realize oh it's 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 kind of angled like this. So you're taking a, a diagonal slice and then you correct it. And you're like, oh crap! I only got eight or nine. Let's see, right? that's that's the knowledge so, that the people don't have. They they, they don't, and they I believe I think, in the machine. Yes, and but now with that, mm -hmm. if you're going to get a CBCT, I think it's prudent that you get trained yes. on how to properly diagnose. Yes. Um, because I get I I get a lot of or some of the doctors that I they refer patients to me, we give them the raw DICOMs, you know, they might shoot me an email, say, hey doc, what do you think about this? And it'll clearly not be a doable case. Mm -hmm. 
And so the question tells me more, like it makes me, the fact that you even had to ask mm -hmm. worries me more. And so usually with those doctors, I'll say, hey, why don't you stop by my office? Let's go over some pointers of what to look at, how to really interpret this, how to manipulate the software. Because, you know, I may be thinking, oh, it's as easy as anatomize software, but you might be looking at a very like basic, um, you know, um, whether it's an iTero or a basic, you know, blue sky bio where you may not all have all the bells and whistles I have at my disposal. And I may assume you have the ability to interpret that the same way that I do, but you don't, right? So I like to bring them in the office and just really have a one-on-one, -on -one, you know, for 20, 30 minutes and give them some pointers. And in, in our course, our Implants 101 course, we spend a good hour just on CBCT interpretation, how to manipulate the software, what to look for, what are some of the things you're, that you're, you're probably going to look at and not know what you're looking at and when to seek guidance and, and so forth, right? Um, but yeah, that's, that's paramount. But what I'm seeing more so where, where I'm seeing danger is these labs that are pushing guided surgery on everybody. And I only do guided surgery maybe about 20% of my cases, and it's almost always anterior cases where precision mm -hmm. is, you have to, you, there's no room for error, right? <laughs> Aesthetically, functionally, biologically, like you have to be on point. But you have to have the background to know when that guide is off. You have to have the eyes to, to look at that uh, screw hole in your guide and be like, huh, that's not how I envisioned it. That's coming a little bit more buckle. So, you, you know, you, it, it's, it's not an end-all be-all, but it can give you a lot of false confidence. And, and you always have to remember, it's, it's a certified lab tech that's designing your guide. Thank you. So when you send it off to XYZ Lab and they send you these images for you to approve, a lot of doctors are like, ah, yeah, that, that looks good. Yeah, go ahead and make it. Okay. Yep. That's what they do for Invisalign too, by the way. That's yep. another yeah. story. <laughs> another yeah. story. That's what they do for Invisalign. Right. And it wasn't until my, my business partner uh, brought, bought a 3D printer and started playing with Blue Sky Bio, designing his own guides. Mm -hmm. And we really realized, like, holy crap, if you don't marry the STL mm -hmm. to, to the, the DICOM file perfectly, you're completely off. I don't care mm -hmm. if it's a guide. You're guiding yourself right into the next route. Or you're yeah. guiding yourself right outside the bone. And I don't, I don't know how much trust I put on someone that's a technician that's just now starting to do guided surgery, you know, and doesn't have that keen eye for, you know, the, the expected restorative outcome, um, as, you know, the restorative space and, you know, the, the soft tissue considerations. So it's, it's, it's a very complicated game. And I, I feel like a lot of industries, whether it's the labs, whether it's the, the, the 3D companies are trying to oversimplify it for doctors. And I think that's doing us kind of a disservice. Okay. Do you well, guys agree? Yeah. Oh, I completely I, agree with you. Yeah, I absolutely. Completely agree. Uh, I, I yeah. think that people are doing too much when it comes to dependence so much on the machine with, instead of their own eye, right? Like you have right. to sit there and say, this does not look right or this is just not right. And it's kind of like putting uh, your, your car in autopilot and be like, all right, cool, I'm good. You know what I mean? Like, right. no, you still have to be there just in case. You know what I mean? Like, you know, that's, right. that's another but okay, let me ask you this, and we'll kind of wrap it up here. But okay. I get this question a lot, and I bet you you get the same thing. So, what's your favorite implant system, or what implants do you like the most? Right, I, I get that a lot. You yes. know, and, 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 and I, for me, I'm like, 
okay, you know, like I can't pick between my daughters. Like if you ask me, you know what I mean? Like I, I like them both equally. I have no choice but to say that. And I, mean, I always say, I always say like- That's because we're recording right now. You got a favorite right, one. Yeah, you just yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, second, the second we end this, I'm gonna be like, look, the little one is my favorite. Let's be real. You know but no, but the reason why, you know, we joke about this, but the reason why I'm saying this is because to me, if you look at the research, implants almost every time you look at a research for implants, it's like as a, a 95 to 100% success rate. Right. Mm -hmm. I think it's what you feel comfortable with. I think it's what you like, right? So don't let these tech or these, uh, you know, reps come in there and think that your, their implant is so special and all this. I have yet to see maybe one or two implants that actually changed the game when it became more aggressive threads. But besides right. that, it's always been kind of the same. Implant is an implant is an implant, just a different name. But I want to kind of get your opinion on this. Um, I, I agree with you. And listen, I grew up on Zimmer. So in school, we had our implantology course, um, and it was run by Zimmer. Um, mm -hmm. one, of, one of my favorite reps ever, uh, her name is Myra Haynes. She works for Affordable Dentures now um, as a regional implant specialist. But she is one of the most knowledgeable just she really kickstarted my implant life so I, I always have to give credit credit to myra i, I love awesome. her to death awesome. um but i grew up on zimmer when i started practicing with my partner at the time he was placing uh ankylos um and then we kind of dabbled into kind of copies of nobel uh copies of, of astra um and at the end of the day there's only a couple things that i would say i would adhere to strongly I definitely believe in conical connection versus non-conical. And the more conical you can get, like with an ankylos or a bicon, I think there's added value. Now, is it game changing per se? No. But it, you know, I if I had my choice in myself, I would say the larger the platform switch, the better, right? If I was yeah, choosing an yeah. implant to be put into for, me. For what reason? Can but, you go in depth with that real quick? For what reason? Why would you want well, me mechanically, I think what you see is that it offsets the distribution of stress mm -hmm. from the connection point uh, when you have a flush like hex connection um, and you start seeing, uh, you know, you're always going to have, because anything that's manufactured is manufactured with a certain amount of tolerance, right? So it's always, even if when you screw it down, there's going to be a little bit of wiggle room and it, it puts the stress at that, the abutment to implant that connection point. When you add a conical feature and you offset it, it actually distributes that stress along the top portion of that implant to a greater extent. And I think the, you know, I think it's evident that it, the, the bone favors that, that different type of distribution of stress a little better. Now, does that mean that's gonna change your success rate much? Probably not, okay? Um, you know, straight implants versus tapered implants, hex connection versus conical connection. I think in, in higher aesthetic areas where I may have multiple implants, I may want that cushion of reducing that, um, that, that, bone, that zone of, of irritation and potential bone loss by using a conical connection, which has definitely been observed. Um, but my biggest thing in choosing an implant system is the prosthetic components. Okay. How common sense are they? For instance, for the longest time I was using... Um, a brand, and because I'm, I'm not going to disparage it, but because I'm, I'm going to say some less favorable stuff about it, I'm not going to name the name, but it's a copy. Yeah, don't do that. They didn't yeah. pay us for anything. No, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, a, it's a copy of Nobel, right? And it's compatible with Nobel. But when you look at the impression copings and the abutments, they're very short and stocky, 
from the the the, the hex part through the conical part and the base, right? So if you're the type of person that likes to maybe maybe bury your implants half a millimeter to a millimeter, or if you're, let's say you have a like a canine tooth and there's a little slope of bone, and you really need to be able to get that impression coping in, but you're blocked out by hard and soft tissue, it's nice to have a prosthetic component that's a little bit longer and more conical that fits into tighter spaces without putting pressure on the soft tissue and the bone both at the impression phase and when you're delivering the prosthesis. So right now I use, uh, it's a Korean company called Dentist. Okay. Um, and that's the, the premier thing that I like about it is the fact that the impression copings and the abutments have a long conical above the implant um, uh, design. Okay. So that way it's able to navigate that's, you know, even tight soft tissue or slightly buried implant a lot better. So I, I choose based on that and obviously the availability of the rep, right? You, right if you right, need a right. piece, you want to be able to get it the next day, you know, um, or if you got a local guy the same day versus having to wait two or three weeks between, you know, ordering. But at the end of the day, I'm pretty agnostic. I feel like any implant system, if you place it right in the right conditions with the right restoration, yeah, you're going to be successful. Yeah. yeah. And, and you, know. you know, it's actually funny that you bring up uh, broken implants, and we'll end it here. I actually just went through my um, history of pictures, and this actually came, I want to say, like two or three weeks ago. Where, And I'm not sure if can you guys actually see this. Oh, you got to turn your, turn your yeah, background let me, off. Let me turn my background <laughs> off. So that, no, because I got to show you this. This is just amazing to me. Um, and, and I don't think a lot of people understand um, how – uh, what's it called? Important occlusal forces. You know, mm -hmm. uh, it, it's it's something that I, I feel like we need to have more discussion with, uh, more uh, understanding of, that we don't. Right. right. So let me see if I can show you this. Can you guys see that? Oh yeah. Fractured. Oh, snapped. Yeah. Snapped it. Wow. Yeah. While it was inside, it like, it like sheared off. It's yeah. sheared off. You see, yeah. and that's a discussion I think we need to have more of. Is what are we doing occlusally? What are we doing with the implant when we restore? So I'm just, that's a little teaser. So, yes. Doc, whenever you have an opportunity, come back. You know, this is how we do it. Whenever you have an yes. opportunity to come back, let's talk about the next phase of uh, dental, dental implantology, which is basically the knowledge to restore the implants properly. You know, we did Absolutely. the surgical part. Let's talk about the restore, restoration part of it and, and, and how you went about learning that and what you find to be the most important uh, educational guides or even mentorship or whatever that led you to, you know, having something that could last 20, 30 years. Right. Yeah. You know? and, and give us your, give us your information on your classes and uh, yes. how people can look that up and get a hold of yeah. you. And please. Uh, yeah. So, so our um, website is, is, is teachmeimplants.org. Um, and we usually put on about two to three courses a year, um, and we have a, a intro course, a PRF course, and a sinus augmentation course. And then I do continued one-on-one -on -one learning with doctors. So once they've taken all my courses, I'll come to their office and usually guide them. They'll, they'll come watch me for a sinus lift, and I'll guide them on one of their patients through a sinus lift. And I've had a, a couple of doctors successfully make that transition to, you know, becoming very comfortable or, or competent um, and comfortable with some of the more advanced procedures that we do. But let, let me ask you guys a question real quick. Yeah. Uh, when is this airing? Uh, it's actually going to, we're going to try to put it on really soon. I want to okay. say, what, within like another day or two. So today's okay. 16. So within another day or two, we'll uh, put it up there for you. I asked that. And I didn't want to bring this up until the end because 
one of the things that um, I've always wanted to do was to complete a residency program, right? Okay. Um, just that was the goal initially that I had. I had to put it off because of family responsibilities. But yeah. in the last couple of years, I've taken the steps to doing that. So I will be starting at OHSU's uh, Perio program on June 28th. Nice. Nice. Okay. Awesome. And awesome. The, reason, the reason I'm concerned about um, uh, when this is airing, because I haven't told my staff that I'm still in the offices yet. Okay. Oh, surprise! Surprise! Yeah, no, no, no. It's everything is closing within the next week or so. So yeah. I, I'm going to have to tell them this week anyway. But I want to wait till the end in case any of them got curious. I doubt that the staff will sit through a whole hour of us just, you know, talking okay. implants and shit. <laughs> yeah. oh, but hopefully, oh, you know, hopefully amazing. when we do this again, I'll have some more exciting uh, stories about my oh, I mean, transition. This is, you know, and all that's that. awesome. You, you know, welcome yeah. to the brotherhood. That's what I'm going to start off with, right? Uh, uh, you know, uh, when it, especially, you know, us being the older people and Kyle, being, uh, you know, the younger, right? maybe, maybe with a, a few more years of knowledge, he, he might join us. We don't know. Right, you know, right, right, right. You know, <laughs> but no, nah, this is, this is awesome. It's like, the, I mean, great news. Congratulations on that. For Thank sure. you. You know Thank what you. I mean? And, uh, Appreciate that. uh we, you know, all the best, all the best. Honestly, we we think that Thank this. I, I love this. I thought this was a really great conversation. I think this oh, is yeah. something that uh, a lot of you know pre dental and dental. Everybody wants to. He they want to hear it, right? And I, I yeah. truly believe that you don't have to go the specialty route in order to become specially trained in a certain field. Implantology mm -hmm. being the one here, you know. Right. So I, I do believe that education and, and just continuous learning. I mean, Kyle is a. He's got his master's. Uh, it, it just, it just needs. To, you just need to continue to learn. And CEs right, are not a absolutely. bad. They're not a curse word. You know, what right, I mean? right, like yep. CEs are not a curse word, and I feel like no. everybody treats it that way. You know, yep. and 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 that goes for GPs and specialists. Yep. It's a life. Yep. Learning yep. is a lifelong journey. I mean, none of us are ever going to feel like there's nothing left to learn, That's which right. is why I was as comfortable as I was going into a, a residency program. Is because the more I've learned the more I've realized, holy crap, there's a shit ton of stuff out there that I need to get my hands on before I leave this world. <laughs> you know what I mean? As far as knowledge goes. So yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you, Dr. Horton. We definitely appreciate you. Uh, yeah, appreciate you, you guys, uh, man. Instagram, Instagram. Hit us up with your Instagram so people can follow you on that. Yes. Uh, Teach Me Implants is my Instagram. It's my professional page. So you'll see cases. You'll see pictures. I do some humorous stuff. Um, and I, I do some. He talked um, to the Tooth Fairy. One of them. I saw yeah, he talked the to the Tooth Fairy. <laughs> yes. I was like, all right. You know, the only thing I was hey, hoping I, for was for you to dress up as the Tooth Fairy. But that was another story. Listen, listen. Yeah. If it gets oh, me nominated for an Emmy, I'll do it. You know? only, only, the, only the Rock can do that. Right. You know? right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's a great follow. I, I love uh, going on your page and just kind of watching all the stuff that you're doing. It's really interesting. If any that, dental man. student or any dentist wants to really kind of see what what the you know what the level of excellence looks like, you gotta follow that page and and just go. Ah, it's fun just you. to even watch because it's just enjoyable just to watch other people's surgery because that can get me to go. Okay, I need a. I need to step up my game, you know, right. I need to step up my right, game, right. so, so I'm good with that, you know what I mean, but thank you guys, really appreciate this as always, yeah, thank it's always you. good thank to come you. back on the podcast. This, this is fun, really fun. Oh man, appreciate you man, thank you. Thank you for listening to Tooth Be Told. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at realdentist with an S at gmail.com. That's realdentist, R-E-A-L, dentist with an S at gmail.com. Remember, the opinions on this podcast are just that 
our professional opinions, the final decision about your health should be made by you and a trusted dental professional.